Christ lives in us. God works in us to will and dwell according to his good pleasure, his purpose. And so from within, it does become a promise. Mm-hmm. You will not bear false witness. Mm-hmm. Why not? Because God never tells lies. Mm. He lives in you now. Mm. You will not commit adultery. Why not? Because Christ is totally faithful. He lives in you. So it, it, the law hasn't changed. The instructions have not right. changed, as you say, because they reveal the character of God. But the imposition externally leaves us only utterly frustrated. The implica- the, the, the imposition internally, it becomes an appetite, a hunger, mm-hmm. and a thirst. And it, it is liberating to know that. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Today's episode is part two of a two-part series entitled, The Civil War in the Soul of Every Believer. It's a continuing conversation with former pastor and Bible school principal, Charles Price. If you haven't listened to the first part, I encourage you to stop now and listen to part one before going on with this episode. I've always considered Charles to be a very clear communicator, and I really appreciate the time that he gave us to talk through the struggle that we as believers encounter when trying to live a godly life. In part two of our conversation, Charles reminds us that the faithful one in our relationship with the Lord is always Jesus and not us. It never could be us. After all, as Paul says in Romans 7, there's nothing good in me, that is, in my flesh. The wishing is present, but the doing of the good is not. So with that, let's jump back into the conversation that I recently had with Charles. Dependent on God, obedient to God, we can trust mm-hmm. that he is going to do things, whether we see it or not. Yeah. But leave it to him. Don't try to measure it. Yeah. It's his you know, business. Yeah. It's There's that life. phrase, with God, nothing is impossible. You can read that to say, with God, you can do anything and jump over the moon. Don't read it that way. Mm-hmm. Read it this way. With God... It's impossible that nothing happens. Mm. Nothing isn't impossible. Mm. You say, I'm obeying God, I'm trusting God, and nothing's happening. No, it's impossible. Yes. And nothing's happening. You just don't know what's happening. J- James, I think, addresses that. And and when, and when I think we want people to hear us say that we're not saying that there should not, that you, there should not be things seen in your life. There should not be things that you are doing. But the doing and what is seen is the result of, it's the end result. It's not the way to the life of Christ. So James says, show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Yes. It's the result. The works are the result. That's right. It's not the, it, it, it's not the beginning. And, and that's where I think, I think that's, that's really the constant battle that we have in life with whatever we're facing. We think it begins with me. And, and so I do believe that that's, that is the, the constant battle. We all, no matter what we're facing in life, we always think the answer begins with me. And so what I've told students is that I'm 57 years old. I've been a believer since I was nine. And the, the big thing that I've learned is that as soon as I have dealt with this issue, the next one's on the horizon. And often, it's the same issue. And the issue is always me. 
Uh, a friend of mine used to say that we always think our problem is our problem, but that's not our problem. We are our problem, and that's a problem. And even, you know, we come to realize that Christ is my life, and then right away we put expectations on his life that's going to look like this. And so I appreciate, you know, just the clarity of what you're saying throughout this whole conversation that, you know, the, the, the pressure is off, that we are free. Mm. But I think what we need to realize is that what that means is we're free from me. You know, my salvation is from me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we keep going back to thinking that he's all about fixing us up instead of making us new. He works through the brokenness that we remain in, in as well. If we, if we want to see that old nature uh, shriveled up and gone, we're not going to. Mm. That was part of Alan Redpath's mm. statement, really. And uh, I, I think that the more you grow in Christ, you don't become more aware of your holiness. You become mm -hmm. more aware of your sinfulness. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're looking at something and you're not sure if it's dirty or not, you say, let, let, let me hold this up to the light. And you hold up the light, then you can say, oh, yes, there's some dirt on this, there's some spots on this thing, you know. Mm. Uh, if you want to not be aware uh, of the of the dirt, you know, move it away from the light. Mm -hmm. And so I think the more we grow in Christ, the more he does exhibit himself, but the more is exposed our own our own sense of, of weaknesses and failures as well. Because the goal of the Christian life is not to be clean, it's to be in union with Christ, it's reconciled to God, that we live in him, he lives in us. We're told from the beginning that this old nature is not going to be moved away. Mm. Paul in Romans 7, which you mm -hmm. quoted, the good I would do, I don't do, the evil I don't do, this is what I do. He's not saying this is what I used to be like. He's speaking in the present tense, yeah. saying this is the structure of, of my life. But in this is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, lived in me by the Holy Spirit. Um, despite all my failings and and, and uh, uh, weaknesses and sins and so on, mm -hmm. it, it's that life that is doing the work. We will be free of this old nature one day, but it's not in this life. Well, I, you know, this is reminding me of is is a, a message I've heard you give on, on multiple occasions uh, with regards to the Ten Commandments. All right. And, and in your teaching, you bring us to that, you know, that in Christ, these Ten Commandments become the Ten Promises. promises. That's yeah. Right. That's right. And that is, you know, that is such a good way of explaining yeah, that. You yeah. know, that, that, yeah, these things are still supposed to be seen. This is still supposed to be true of us, but it's no longer dependent on me. Mm. And I think Hebrews, you know, uh, in chapter, um, in chapter 8. You know, it, you know, we find that the, the the problem with the old covenant is not is not the law itself, because the law is the picture of the image of God. So that can't be what the problem is. But as you read through chapter eight, you realize that the problem with the old covenant is me. 
that the old covenant, it's all dependent on me. And in, in Hebrews, I mean, in Romans 8 as well, you know, what the law cannot do, weak as it was through mm. the flesh. I'm mm. the problem. Mm. And so how can I be the solution? You know, d- just because now I'm in the club, <laughs> you know, now that I've been saved, mm. what I've been saved from is me. And so I cannot be the solution to these mm. problems. Uh, I mean, commands are external to us. And so you shall not bear false witness. It's an external mm. command and mm-hmm. it's imposed. Okay, I'll try. We kind of salute and say, <laughs> yes, I know that's right. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet and so on. But when Christ lives in us, God works in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure, his purpose. And so from within, it does become a promise. Mm-hmm. You will not bear false witness. Mm -hmm. Why not? Because God never tells lies. Mm. He lives in you now. Mm. You will not commit adultery. Why not? Because Christ is totally faithful. He lives in you. So the law hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. The instructions have not changed, as you say, because they reveal the character of God. But the imposition externally leaves us only utterly frustrated. The... Implica- the, the, the imposition internally, it becomes an appetite, a mm-hmm. hunger and a thirst. And it, it is liberating to know that. Mm. And, um, yeah. Well, I find that what's been helpful for me is to, is to realize that salvation is really a restoration. Uh, we had a, a student a um, number of years back whose grandfather... Uh, served in the South Pacific during World War II. And she, uh, I checked with her twice to make sure I had this story right. Um, she said that he was, um, he couldn't sleep one night. And they were, on, they were on their way to Australia. He got up in the middle of the night to go up on the deck and just have a smoke. And while he was up there in the middle of the night, he fell overboard. Now he's in, they're in the Pacific Ocean at night and he's up there by himself. A few minutes later, one of his bunk mates woke up and realized he wasn't in the room and at first didn't think much about it, but then he was never coming back. So he got up to go find him and long story short, they ended up having the whole ship, the whole ship was looking for him and they realized he's nowhere on this ship. So they knew he had gone overboard. So through a quick investigation, they found the one who saw him last. They realized he was on his way up to the deck. They knew about what time that was. So they pulled the charts out and they were able to, I don't know how they can do this, but they were able to figure out exactly where they were at that time. Turn around. And in the middle of the night, they found him. Hmm. This story is unbelievable. And... So I tell that story, and then at this point I'll say, now, they rescued him. They saved him. And how did they do it? Well, they threw a float to him and said, grab the float and do the best you can to act like the ship. We're going this way. You kick as hard as you can. Be like the ship, and someday we'll see you in harbor. And, you know, the students look at me and go, what? I said, of course that wasn't his salvation. Instead, what did they do? They threw him a line. He grabbed hold, and they pulled him. They saved him out of the ocean 
and restored him back to which that which he had fallen from. He once again could function as the sailor that he was before he fell from what he was. And now he can, he can go about just as he did. And, yeah. and our salvation is a restoration. And when we talk about you know, that, that these 10 promises, because of, because of his enabling, Paul says in Colossians, I strive and I labor according to his power, which mightily works within me. What, what, these, what these things are describing is the restoration to what we were intended. This is what, this is what God always meant. He always meant to be the source. He meant for himself to be the source. He always meant for him to be the enablement, and, and the, 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 the faithful one, the, the, the one who's doing, living his life. You know, that, you know, like Major Thomas has told us, it takes God in the man for man to be the man that God made man to be. You know, this is... This this is why it's freeing, because we're being freed from ourselves. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example, and 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 the ship to which we restored is is God Himself. Right. You know that what happened in the Garden of Eden is that the important thing that happened in the Garden of Eden was not that man disobeyed, but the consequences of that is that he became spiritually dead. Mm. You know, on the day you eat, that day you will die. Right. And in the language of Paul, they became separate from the life of God. What's the solution? There's only one solution. Put the life of God back into yes. human experience. And then, as a consequence, there, there, there is the fruit that comes from that. But uh, it's, it's not just being cleaned up and made respectable for getting to heaven one day. It's, it's being restored to the ship. It's being re-inhabited by the right. life that was lost. And, and, this is, and this is our salvation. Yeah. And we we sell it short, you know. We, we and and we live frustrated because we 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 think it it depends on me. I I appreciated something you said uh, a few days ago at the conference. Um, you said that the lie in the garden was not that you will be like God. That got my attention. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, that's wait a minute. That's what. But then you go on that. The lie in the garden. The lie in the garden was not that you will be like God, but that you will be like God, without God. Yeah. And I thought, but that's right. Yeah. That's right because we were created in His image. Yeah. What's true of Him should be true of us because He's living His truth out of us, in us, out of us, and and so that's what we've been restored to, and we can we can. Uh, I mean, that's what Paul was concerned with, wasn't it? You know, in Second Corinthians, when he said that, I, I am afraid, you know, lest as Eve was deceived by the craftiness of Satan, that your minds be led astray from the simplicity and purity to Christ. The same thing. We can believe the same lie. Mm. You know, e- even though we have placed our faith in Christ, Colossians, you know, Paul again says, as you have received him, so walk in him. And, you know, I remember uh, preaching one time. My sister-in-law was in the audience, and she told, she told Arlene after, I have never thought about that verse. And she said, what's wrong with me? That's so clear. You know, that we, we understand as evangelicals, I am saved by faith in Christ. But then we, we dis, we make a, there's a disconnect that all of a sudden now I live this life dependent upon me. And that's the opposite. That's the antithesis, really, of what the Lord has for us. As you have received him, mm. 
So walk in it. Yeah. We're saved by faith and live by works is the reality mm. for many Christian lives. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, as you say, as you receive, so live. Mm. So you ask every time when you're seeking to live the Christian life, how did I receive Christ? Turning from myself and turning to him. Mm. That's repentance and faith. Mm -hmm. How do I live? Turning from myself, turning to him. Mm. And you're right, that's uh, that's the simple process. He who began the good work and you will take it to completion. Mm. Not he began the good work, now you complete it. Right, yeah. A key verse in my life has been First Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls is faithful and he will do it. Not he who calls is faithful. So you now be faithful and do yeah. it because he's called you to it. Right. He's called you to be a missionary. Okay, you be faithful and do it. He called you to it. No, he who calls is faithful, he will do it. But he's called you to be the vehicle by which he will do it, the means by which he will do mm -hmm. it. And that's our privilege, mm -hmm. to be the to be the vehicle through which uh, he can accomplish his work. We don't become zombies. We don't become nothing. Right. He works yes. through everything that we are, yes. personalities, which are different. And that's the freedom, I think, you know, mm -hmm. that we can... We can go about the next thing, just trusting the Lord. You yeah. know, just you know, get up in the morning, and you know, Bob Hobson used to say, uh, you know, another uh, one of the part of the old guard of torchbearers. You know, he used to get up. He would say every morning, I jump out of bed and drop dead. <laughs> Lord, this is your life and your day. Where are we going? And you know, that I we do we we. When I, I know that I can be guilty of this. We read scripture through um, our own uh, preconceived notions. And so when we come across, you know, other references to add to the ones that you were just giving, you know, when, when Jesus says, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I, I think if we're honest the way we read it, come to me all who are strong and have it all figured out. And I will give you rest. And, no, that's not what it says. And and I think that just falls in line with all that you've been saying in this conversation is that like I'm a mess. And that's all I'm ever gonna be. Yeah. But look, you know, but 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 look at who I am in Christ yeah. because of what he has done and is doing in me. And that, you made a very good point there, that invitation. I think there are two invitations of Jesus. If we understand them both we'll understand the Christian life. The oh. first is, come to me. Here's the criteria. You're weary, you're heavy laden, you're burdened, can't cope, come to me. Mm. And I'll give you rest. Mm. And I've sat with people sometimes and said, do you, do you understand that? You really are weary, burdened, heavy laden, you can't cope. You, you really do understand that, do you? Because sometimes they want Jesus to be their helper. Mm -hmm. So I'm coming. Yeah, I'm 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 on a low par. I'm functioning at twenty percent. You you help me so we can get up to eighty percent. No, you come weary, burdened, heavy laden. Come to me. I'll give you rest, which means quit trying to make mm. these things rest mm. in me. That's the first invitation. Come to me, and the second invitation is abide in me. Okay, now you've come to me. Now abide in me. Yeah. You abide in me, and I in you, and you will. Mm. bear fruit mm -hmm. not hopefully if you're amongst the fortunate ones you'll bear fruit or if you're gifted in a certain way you'll bear fruit 
or if you become a pastor, you'll bear fruit. Right. But if you abide in me, your focus is on me and I'm in you, and that relationship with me is a living one, a flourishing one, a developing one, growing one, a daily one. Don't worry about the fruit. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm saying you will bear fruit. Mm. Just focus on being in me. So those two invitations, come to me, the criteria being you're weary, you're heavy laden, you're burdened. Come to me. And having come to me, abide in me. Mm. Well, I appreciate that. If if you're willing, I'd like to change subject a little bit here. I know I have abused you. Uh, people don't know this, but we... Arlene and I had Charles over for lunch today, and I talked his ear off throughout lunch and after before we ever got to the interview. And now, <laughs> now finally, we're in the interview, and and, uh, and here I am. I just want to keep the conversation going. So, if you're okay for just a few more minutes, I'd like to change direction and ask you something that that I'm curious about. Um, you you had a heart attack at a relatively young age. And I remember when the news came and it was just shocking for everybody. And we were quite concerned. And, uh, and what year was that? That was um, it's about 25 years ago. Again, these things merge. I don't keep dates and okay. times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was the late 1970, uh, sorry, <laughs> 1997 or 8, okay. something like that. Okay. And then, 98. And then seven years ago, you had uh, another experience yeah. Yeah. You know, with your heart. And, and I'm just, you know, and the, and the Lord has, I don't want you to go through the story again and make you say, uh, go through that again. I mean, the listeners probably saying, please have him do it. But you, you, you guys, you got to understand, I've really had him here for a long time. But, you know, suffice it to say that these were scary things to have to go through. And, and sure, I, I'm sure it, they were, well, they weren't, they weren't expected. You know, they just, it just happened. I'm curious, as somebody that's watched you for years, that's read your books, listened to your sermons, you know, that the Lord has used you in my life. Now, I'm, I'm curious, when you go through something like that, what has the Lord done with you? in walking through these things. Yes, it's hard to give you three bullet points. These are the three things, these are the four mm-hmm. things, the five things. But every every crisis of life, every challenge you face, either takes you from God or to God. You don't remain in the same place. Mm. And I trust that these experiences I've been through, and you know, everybody goes through troubles and difficulties mine is one set another person's is another set of problems and difficulties i i trust it drives us to god i remember when i had my initial heart attack i was speaking at a conference and i'd finished my message and i went for a walk there was a steep hill nearby and there was a trail up this hill a, a, a dirt trail and i was walking up this hill when suddenly it's as though i felt suddenly put a clamp on the other side of my chest and was slowly tightening it. Mm. So I've never felt that kind of thing before. What is this? And then I thought, you know, I think this is a heart attack. It was a big rock on the side of it. I sat on the rock and it didn't stop with my sitting down. And I remember praying and I said, God, if this is a heart attack, I have nothing to ask you for because I don't know what to ask you for but I do trust you. Mm. And I thank you that you're present in this. And I felt a, a peace come over me. 
It was only later when I read in Philippians 4, passage I did know, you know, have no anxiety about anything, but everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. And with hindsight, I thought, you know, that's what I experienced there without trying to experience it. And it was the instinctive response. I thought, if I run down this hill back to the conference center, I'm going to die on the way because once your heart is blocked, you know, it's a matter of time uh, before before it becomes starved of enough oxygen to survive. And and if I run down, I'll kind of put pressure on it and create. Yeah. So if I walk casually down, it may take too long. And while I was sitting there thinking this, a truck came down the drive, this dirt track. And they told me one or two trucks a week would be on that track. Hmm. And I put my hand out. He stopped. And I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. And he laughed and said, really? And I said, no, I'm serious. Said, oh, okay. Get in, you know. We went down. But, and then the, we called an ambulance and so on. But then seven years ago, that's when I've been doing well on, on a lot of medication and so on. There was a lot of damage done, but I was doing well. I was in Iraq speaking at a conference when I suddenly felt like the energy drained out of me while I was speaking. Mm. It was almost it was like emptying a bottle of water, but you're emptying energy. Mm. And I kind of put my hands onto the pulpit. I was standing behind and eventually my elbows, and I finished speaking, sat down, could hardly stand up. People came to talk. I said, excuse me, sitting here. I could hardly focus even in talking with them. I didn't tell anybody I was, a, I was feeling what I was. But I went back to the hotel and I was going home the next day. I phoned my cardiologist and I came back, went to see him straight away, did some tests. He said, you know, you're a candidate for sudden death. Your heart is functioning so poorly, mm. what they call stage four, my ejection fraction, the amount of blood pumped out. Every um, every beat, healthy heart, seventy percent. Mine was down into the mid-teens, which is which is critical. You can't mm. supply enough oxygen in due course. And uh, anyway, they 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 within a few days they were talking about my having a heart transplant. And I went to the hospital where they do that, and they suggested they did some more tests. They said, "Okay, you're a candidate for this transplant, but there's a device." fairly new at that stage. We put it in your chest, connect wires to your heart. It takes over the full control of your heart. And uh, if it doesn't work, we can go back to the transplant. It works for some, not for everybody. And they they put it in my chest and uh, it's been there. It's had to be replaced three times because the battery runs out. So they mm -hmm. replace the whole device. But they, they call me Exhibit A when I go to the hospital <laughs> and then say, you know, if we want to... Uh, an example of does this device work? Here's Exhibit A. Wow! Because I'm I'm functioning extremely well. Wow! And they told me, okay, you're going to preach. This my cardiologist said, you probably won't manage more than twenty minutes. You know, you're going to be exhausted. First message I I, I preached, which was about three months later. I I had a twenty minute exit. I had a thirty minute exit. A forty minute exit. I went forty minutes, wow. and I was stronger at the end of the beginning i was energized wow. by it yeah and you know they said travel will be difficult for you 
um, well, they said that they said pressurization of the aircraft, you know, has its effects, and, mm-hmm. and and travel may not be the wisest thing. But you know, I said, Lord, if you send invitations, and I'm free, I'll respond to them. And I travel widely. Wow, I'm on airplanes all the time. Wow, um, I've been on five continents this year. Wow. Um, I'll be on six continents next year, my, oh my, my schedule. So I'm all over the world. And it doesn't have the effect they said it's supposed to have. So mm. I'm thankful to God for that. Sure. I mean, this is a physiological thing. Yeah. Everybody's body is different. They respond differently. My cardiologist said, may I have people with your heart disease who can't walk upstairs? Wow. Well, that's no problem for me at all. I'm, and it's because our bodies are different. But... You know, weakness is never an enemy, it's a friend. Mm. If we respond to it and say, Lord, in this area that I'm weak, I mm. thank you that I'm not going to be stupid. I, I, I don't run a marathon. I'm not a runner anyway, but I wouldn't run. That's not smart to do. I walk. I, I walk most days, and that's good for my heart, but not running or other things, some other things. So, but but I, I, I trust you. And, and I think I think things that keep us weak and keep us vulnerable are good things mm. if we relate them to God. Well, Paul, mean, Paul would agree with that. With his soul in the flesh. Yeah. Exactly right. Whatever his soul in the flesh was, he asked God to take it away yeah. three times. That's the obvious thing to do. This is the kind of thing you send out. Please pray for this. Put on right. the prayer chain. Paul's yeah. I've yeah. got a problem here. Let's pray God will take it away. And God said no, after you prayed for three times. I mean, God doesn't always give you an explanation. He just, no answers. And then the third time, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I'll boast about the things that show my weakness. Mm. So I don't say, I'll I'll hide this weakness. I'll bury this. I don't want to talk about it. This is my enemy. Mm. He says, no, no, this, come on, this is my friend. Because this is what keeps me dependent on God. Yeah. And Paul says at the outset, it's because of surpassingly great revelations God had given to him. He talked about being caught up into the third heaven and so on. He said, because of these revelations, God said, okay, I've given you a massive bonus over here. I'm going to have to smack you with a thorn in the flesh over here <laughs> to keep this balance, to stop you taking yourself too seriously, mm. saying, wow, I went up to heaven. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. I, who else mm. has been up to heaven? Not many of <laughs> you. No, he said, he made me weak. The two are related. And I think, you know, when God blesses you, he also breaks you. Because I think those two things mm. are related mm. together. I remember learning this lesson when I was a, a young Christian, really. I, well, not a young Christian, a young person. And uh, there was a well-known preacher in Britain, and I wanted to go and hear him, and I went with an older friend of mine. He, he, was, he was very well-known, had a good reputation, and we wanted to hear him preach. And the end of the message, my older friend turned to me and said, what do you think of that? And I said, I enjoyed that. That was good. He handled his text well. It was good stories to illustrate it, kept people's attention. It was, it was a good message. He said, yes, it was. But there's one thing missing, he said. I said, what's that? He said, he needs to suffer a little bit. So if that man suffered, there'd be an empathy in his voice that would make that a great message. Mm. What he's saying is true and good. 
But it's not coming out of a position of hurt. And I thought to myself, that's, that's a bit harsh to talk like that. Mm. As it happened, that man did go through some enormous suffering. His wife in her 50s went into very deep depression. Mm. I got to know this man later. We shared a couple of conferences together. His wife went into deep depression. She attempted suicide a couple of times. She died of natural causes when she was in her 50s, still young. And this man went through all the grief and pain and turmoil of that. And I shared ministry with him when I was older and he was hmm. older. And there was a quality to his ministry that had not been there before. Hmm. And it was his suffering because suffering will make you bitter or it'll... I was going to say make you better. That's that's not a good analogy. It's not about being made better. It's about being made more dependent. Mm. His bitterness, I think, took him back to God. Mm. And, you know, one person's molehill is somebody else's mountain, and that's good. These things are relative. I know people have been to cataclysmic events in their lives that are just tragic and painful. And I go through my, I say I've had a heart attack. That's nothing for what some people have been through. It doesn't matter whether it's a molehill or a mountain. The molehill to you is a mountain if, it's that your, if that's your issue. Do I resent it? Do I become bitter because of it? Or do I embrace it? And I have learned, and my wife helped me with this, and she helped me with this language. I've learned to make my problems, my temptations, my enemies, my friends. Mm. Not to be fought away, but to see as something which takes me more deeper mm. to Christ. I was talking at the conference this week about the temptations of Jesus. Mm. It says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Yeah. The Spirit led him to face the devil. At the end of that process, it says he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the basic proposition I was making this week in the sessions we had was it's one thing to know the presence of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. It's nothing to know his power. And for the fullness of the Spirit to become the power of the Spirit, he had to go through 40 days of tempting which from the devil's point of view intended to destroy him, but from God's point of view intended to make him what God wanted him, mm. needed him to be, not to disqualify him, but to qualify him. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's an illustration of this principle, that what you think are going to be your enemies, make them your friend, and say, this is an avenue of grace into my life. So Paul's thorn in the flesh was his enemy, Take it away. This torments me. God says, no. I want you to see this as your friend. Because in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Mm. So, uh, you know, folks listening to our voices today, going through all kinds of issues that you think, why doesn't God take this away? Why doesn't God answer this prayer? Why doesn't he solve this problem? If God would just... Help me to defeat this one sin, this one temptation in my life. 
I'd be fine. Mm. That very thing may be the thing which makes yeah. you dependent on God. It drives you back to God. Mm-hmm. Then it's your friend, not your enemy. Mm. It may be a bad thing, so treat it as a bad thing right, in the sense right, that you yeah. want to deal with it. Yeah, I appreciate that. You yeah. want to deal with this. I mean, people get into all kinds of addictions, and this isn't the addiction isn't good. Mm-hmm. But does it drive you back to God? Then, in that sense, it's serving you mm-hmm. <laughs> in a in, in a way that makes you dependent. It keeps you humble. Anything that's, that's, that's sinful, of course, has to be addressed. But often it's circumstantial things that we don't like, things that have gone wrong, like illness or loss of job or whatever it may be, or broken relationship. The, these things are painful for us. Mm-hmm but allow it to take you back to God into greater and deeper dependence on him. And uh, and it'll be your friend Mm. and you'll be free. Right. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well, um, now before we go, I want the listener to know that, uh, that Charles has written several books. Um, Christ for real. I've read several times. Um, Would you just real quick, could you go through the titles of your books? There are a couple of books published by Craig in the United States called Christ for Real, which you mentioned. I share in that something in my own experience of trying hard to live in the mm-hmm. early days and then finding it's not I but Christ. And then the working of that, what it means to live, what repentance is, what trust is, why Christ died, you know, and, and, and uh, how we live by faith in him and so on. The work of the Spirit in us. And then the other one was called Alive in Christ, which, um, uh, similar sounding title, but that's, that's teaching the same truths, but from a different perspective. The aspect we talked about before, about the law becoming, the commands becoming promises. Mm-hmm. There's a whole section on that in that book as well. So they're both really about, about finding life in Christ. Then there are other books I've written which publishers asked me to write commentary on Matthew's Gospel, which really were based on lectures I gave at Cape Ray mm. uh, over the years. And, and the publisher came to me and said, you know, we'd like you to contribute the Matthew commentary to a series they were doing covering the whole Bible. Right. Um, there's one on Joshua. There's a book on on Paul. It was in a series called Character and Charisma, looking at characters in the Bible. Uh, that series went out of print. The book's been reprinted independently now as a separate thing. Uh, and about the Paul's main message People say Paul's key message is justification by faith. I, I don't think it is. I think it's a means to an end. Mm. Paul's plain message is plain, uh, key message, should I say. Paul's key message is union with Christ. Okay. Why are you justified? To be clean so you can be wrapped up in bundles and sprinkled with disinfectants and eventually arrive in heaven. Know that in union with Christ, you become a partaker in his work and ministry mm. by his living in us and through us. Uh, there's one called Connect with the Heart of God that was based on some messages I gave at an event called the Keswick Convention in England mm. and the publisher took it and made it into a book. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I have a publisher now saying, can you give us a book? Can you give us some more? And uh I've started trying to write, because uh, I haven't written for some years, I started to write again, but it, it kind of went a bit dry, so 
No, God's called me to preach and let okay. that have its consequence. There is a website. Okay, good. That was some my next question. Some guys put together in Australia. And it's got, we had a television program in Toronto. Right. And, and so there's good quality vi video production there. And uh, it's, it's got videos, audios, transcripts, mm. for those who prefer to read, same stuff. Um, daily devotionals, other things on there. It, it's a very simple address. Charles Price Ministry, not ministries, ministry, charlespriceministry.org. charlespriceministry.org. And uh, you can go on there. You can download an app. It gives in a daily devotional. It comes in if, if for those who want that. And uh, it's at the moment, it's got the stuff is all taken from the people's church over 15 years. They want to add more stuff, and we're looking at that. But it's... Okay. Uh, Great. Uh, that was my next question because I, I knew that there was lots of video uh, and uh, and it had been shown all over the world. So, I was just, so there is a way to still get access to it. That's great. That's right. And we just I just had an email from the, the guy overseas. He said, we just had our millionth hit. Oh, wow. Now, okay. that's, uh, a hit is, can be two seconds, of course, so it yeah. doesn't mean a lot. But at least uh, over a million now have looked for it, sure. gone there. They've had 40,000 downloads of videos. I've forgotten the other statistics. Okay. But this is, a, it's been up for a year now. So that's encouraging. That's, yeah, that's very encouraging. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's great to And hear. I'm getting letters that coming in that go in that, that get sent to me every day from people who comment on things they've been listening mm. to. And for everyone who comments, there's a lot more who don't bother to comment. I never, I never comment on things I listen okay. to. And uh, the books, can they all be found on Amazon? Or yes, what's the best? Amazon can get, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you put a search, my name and Christ Real, I'm Christ, you'll, you'll probably find them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Great. Some of them anyway. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Charles, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you putting some time aside. I know that you, you've been teaching all week and you just have a break today and then you preach tomorrow and then you're on a plane again. So I thank you for giving us this time and, and for letting me go extra with this too. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Kelly, for asking us this good questions. Thank you for tuning in to the His Hill podcast. You've been listening to our host, Kelly Doherty, along with Charles Price. The winter spring term began yesterday with all 68 of our students coming back to the hilltop after a month long winter break. The joy that comes with students coming back is truly a highlight of the school year as the time away rekindles the gratitude within us all for the season we now find ourselves in. All the hellos and joy had that first day back always serve as a vibrant reminder of how beautiful and thoughtful our God is. He knows us intricately, he cares for us well and with detail, and he gives good gifts. Please keep us in your prayers as this term unravels, that we all would not lose sight of the beautiful gift that this season is, and that the new students who joined us yesterday would believe that God has them starting here now with purpose. Thanks again for tuning in with us today. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. I'm Lizzie, and we'll see you next week.